0: How we doing? (laughs) I was about three seconds behind the time on that one. Sorry, guys. I'm glad you're here. I'm Pastor Matt. If this is your first time, I'd love to meet you uh, in the comments afterwards. Or if you're new online, send us that QR thing. Let me say something about the church app. You should download it. uh, And that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) Actually, I do want to thank you because when we uh, were first rolling this out, we changed our whole giving platform. Um, so most of our giving is done online, and we changed the whole platform, and that can be a little nerve-wracking, right? Um, but so we've had people jump on board, get it downloaded, and one of the things this new system allows us to do is check a box that said, I'll cover the fees. And I told you that last year, we paid a lot of money in fees, over $20,000, close to $25,000 in fees. And... Uh, and you guys responded to that. I just want to give you just a quick win. Um, so in June, um, the giving, you guys, gave, or you guys are generous. So the giving was was just over $120,000, and we paid right over $600 in fees. That's an incredible saving. So thank you for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you haven't downloaded the app, download the app. So anyway. Uh, we're in a series called life by the sea i 'm excited about this, and Abby already gave you a spoiler alert that we're talking about a, a soldier coming to jesus but this is in uh, this is in Luke chapter seven is where we 're going to be and uh this series i 've had fun with because i I get to kind of retrace some of my steps around the Sea of galilee and 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 think back to the trip that was it was it was absolutely impactful to see kind of the the Bible come alive and to, and to be in places where I know that jesus was walking and and um you know, we saw a boat. Uh, we went to a museum and saw a boat because one of the y- several years ago, the lake was actually down, kind of like every lake in Texas right now. Uh, and uh, a guy, two guys were just out kind of just digging around looking for stuff, and they uncovered a boat. And, and they had to go through this huge process to get this boat out because as soon as the air would hit it, the the wood would just start dissolving, which just kind of turned to powder. So they had to entomb the boat and then figure a way to clean it and then send it off. And these companies got involved, and it's probably one of the most expensive first century fishing boats ever. Um, but they sent it into this lab, and it was in this place, a secured environment that they began to fill this, this capsule they built around it with liquid so that it would kind of reconstitute the wood and it would start to bring the mud out. And so they ended up with this boat, and we got to see this boat. They call it the Jesus boat. And uh, somebody in our group said, was Jesus really in that boat? And the, the guide goes, it's a 50-50 chance. Either he was or he wasn't, you know. I mean, <laughs> so, uh, so that was kind of the joke. Everywhere we walked around, like, was Jesus here? 50-50. You know, but there's a couple places that I know my feet hit that, that the feet of Jesus hit. And uh, it was just it's an amazing thing for us to be reconnected that that Jesus is God in the flesh. You know, we only talk about that most of the time at Christmas time. Emmanuel, that he was born, and we celebrate his birth. But listen, we gotta constantly keep in our mind that that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and he wrapped himself in flesh. He walked this earth, he walked a sinless life. None of us we're capable of that. None of us will ever be capable of that. And he willingly laid his life down on a cross and paid for our sin that we rightfully deserve and then was resurrected on the third day. And that, that whole news, that whole message is what we call the gospel. It's good news. And, and I, that's transformed my life. And it's transformed so many of your lives. And we get to see life change constantly around the church. And, and it's amazing. It's humbling to get to, to walk through uh, ministry with, with the changes we get to see. And staff meetings are, are, are an absolute you know, delight because we're talking about the lives that have been impacted. And so we celebrate the wins. We celebrate what God is doing and uh, we celebrate that not just he walked uh, around the sea of Galilee but he walks in our midst and he he is still doing miracles and he's still doing work and this this is an incredible miracle that I want to I want to bring you into, um, but as we talk about life by the sea, I've got, I've got a new map to show you, so I've got the Sea of Galilee, where it's in context of Israel, so what you see is the nation of Israel, and then you see that Galilee, the region of Galilee is in the northern section, the northeastern section, and that's where the Sea of Galilee is. Um, you, you'll see it called a lake or a sea when you're reading through your scripture, um, and it's just, it's fed by the Jordan River, it's 13 miles long. Uh, eight or nine miles wide, it's 33 miles around, in, in, around the, the, the lake. And uh, uh, so when you, when you start to think about this, you know, then you kind of get in, because we see things on a map, but then you like zoom into like street view. I love zooming into street view because then you start to see, okay, around the Sea of Galilee, these are the towns that we read in scripture. So when you're reading through scripture, it's not just Jesus went to this town. Sometimes I'm gonna f- confess this. When I'm reading the Old Testament, and and you come across a bunch of names that I don't feel like I can pronounce. I mean, even I'm I'm hooked on phonics, but I'm still having trouble with it. You know, but um, I uh I'll just say the first letters, like you know Shabob and Jimbo Bob. I'll just like an S and J went up the mountain to pray. You know, so I'm just like you know so that way I you know I can get in there. And I'm sure when I get to heaven, uh, Shamimabob and Jobinabab are they're gonna come up and go hey hey Mufunimu. And I'm like, okay, just call me M, I'll call you J, call you S, we're good, okay? We're good. We're going to spend an eternity just with these. By the way, when we get to heaven, we'll get a new name, and it will be a name that God has specifically for each and every one of us, so you won't share a name with anyone. That's, that's for free. That's on the side. Anyway, um, so here we go. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1, and he, Jesus, finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, and he entered Capernaum. Capernaum is, is his headquarters. And uh, I I got to go in and see some of the ruins of Capernaum. It is right on the Sea of Galilee. Um, They had a port right there, um, a small fishing port where you can see it's a beautiful area. Um, This is the home of Peter. And there's actually a house. There's a statue of St. Peter um, where he looks like big and he's like big and and, and like bulky, you know, it's like like Hulkster Peter, you know, Um, and that's probably not what he looked like. But anyway, that's that's what they have the statue of. And. um, So Jesus is in Capernaum, and in verse 2, it says, Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. And and, and this centurion, if you don't know, is a Roman officer. Um, He's a commander over 100 soldiers. He was a Gentile, which means he's not a Jew, but he represented the rule over the Jews because at this time in history, the nation of Israel was under the power of Rome. Rome was the dominant force and the dominating power, and they controlled Israel. And, and so the centurion is stationed in Capernaum, and there would be, there would be a, at least 100 under his command. And we don't know if he's the only centurion in Capernaum, or if, 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 that, was the, if that was the battalion that was set up for Caper- Capernaum to keep people in line. But anyway, he's got a servant who's at the point of death. Sorry, I got a weird hair sting hanging on there. Sorry. Squirrel. It went that way. So he's got a servant, and he's sick, and, and it says that he was highly valued. So there's, there's a relational connection. He feels something for, for the servant. And, and, and when the centurion heard, this is verse 3, heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. So the centurion had heard about Jesus. Now, the popularity of Jesus is starting to really pick up in the region of Galilee because he's healing people. Remember last week we were teaching about his rest, and on the Sabbath, he taught in the synagogue, and then when the sun went down and the Sabbath was over and people could go back to their, their, their non-Sabbath laws, people all night long were bringing them the sick and the demon-possessed, and Jesus was healing them. And so word starts getting out, word's getting out. When the men brought their, their friend that was paralyzed on the mat and lowered him down, word had gotten out. And so the centurion, he, he's going to notice a, a scuffle in the city or a big crowd, right? Because he's there to police the city, and he's noticing this man is drawing crowds. And a lot of times what the Romans were, 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 were trained to do is if they're drawing crowds, that could be an uprising against the Roman Empire, and we need to investigate this, and if possible, we need to squash it. So he'd done some, some investigation, and he finds out that this Jesus of Nazareth, who's now living in Capernaum, is healing people and he's hearing these stories. And so he goes to the elders of the Jews and asks them to come, go to Jesus to come and heal him. So he sends a middleman, right? He goes to the elders and says, Hey, can you talk to Jesus and then, you know, see if Jesus would come and do something about my servant. And this is what the 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 Jewish elder says, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he's the one who built us our synagogue. They are determining worth based on his actions, based on his actions right? But if you really look at what they're saying is, they're saying he's worthy for Jesus to do something for him. When I'm When I'm reading this, I'm like, I'm not worthy at all. I mean, there is none righteous, not one. The Word of God teaches us, and I don't feel worthy at all. I mean, Jesus does. The God works in my life and does things, and it 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 sparks praise, but it also highlights the reality that I'm not worthy, and that He does it out of His love for me, not that I've earned it or deserve it or I'm worthy but he loves me enough. And and so they go and they say, he built a synagogue. He's, he's He's really helped us. He's been a friend to us. And our worth isn't found in our actions. It's only found in Christ. And when Jesus went with them, he was not far from the house. The centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. Listen to his view, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. He'd heard the reputation of Jesus now maybe he'd heard that some said he was the Christ, but listen, he recognized his worth in the presence of Jesus, and he sends his friends out. In Matthew, this the same the same scene is happening. It's a parallel story. Um, it says that the saturn himself went out, and so whether he sends representatives or it's him, it's kind of like you know if 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 I send one of my kids out to say something and they say you know Matt said, they're they're on the authority of Matt, you know. The team around here, you know, they lead ministry and they have to, they have to go off of, they are on the authority of Matt. So, yeah. Um, so, semantics. But he sends people to say, I'm not worthy. I, you don't, I, I'm not, you can't even. And here's the thing. Jesus was on his way to his house knowing that the Jewish law, if he entered a Gentile's house, he would become ceremonially unclean. And yet, Jesus was willing to go. And the Jewish elders were willing to go. I don't know if they would have gone in the house. Probably not. But he says, therefore, you know, I'm not worthy. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. Look at that faith. Just says, say the word. We make so many things complicated. He's like, Jesus, if you just say the word, it's done. He had faith. He had faith because he had seen his faithfulness, the faithfulness of Christ. He says, for I too am a man under authority. I've been set under authority with soldiers under me, under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to another servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd following him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Like this man recognizes authority, just say the word, Jesus. I mean, I, the centurion knows how to receive orders and follow commands. I mean, we've got a heavy military presence in our at the creek, and you have to understand if I'm going to make it in that environment, I've got to know how to follow orders as you promote. And you give orders, they've got to follow you. It's a chain of command. There's an authority structure that's at work. And this this soldier recognizes that Jesus is set under authority. That's the authority of the Father. And he says, you say the word, and your authority takes action, and you have authority over sickness, authority over death, authority over sin, authority over the enemy. You have the authority over all creation. I mean, Colossians 1 tells us that all things in creation were made by Jesus, for Jesus, and through Jesus. And he's picking up on this authority. And Jesus says, I haven't seen, even in the nation of Jews who are called to be the faithful, I've not found that kind of faith. I mean, Jesus is marveling at the faith. And like, this is is incredible. I love the faith of the centurion. You said, just say the word. And you recognize my authority. I mean, he's got to be smiling at this because he's like, somebody gets it. I mean, he even has to have conversations with the disciples. Are you that dull? These are the dudes that are following him 24-7. They see everything he's doing. They they hear everything he's saying. And yet this man hears of his reputation, sends his his envoy out, and says, just say the word. And Jesus like, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, think about if we as a church had that, like if we walked on that kind of faith. Jesus, just say the word. We're in it, man. We're with you. Jesus is marveling at that faith. He loved the faith as the centurion, and this is what he closes out. He says, and when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Let Let me give you a response here that Jesus gives When he says, I haven't found this kind of faith in all of Israel. In Matthew 8, I'll start like verse 10, because this is the same story. But he says this, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who follow him, Truly, I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. What Jesus is opening up here is the kingdom is for all. The Jewish leaders that were following Jesus, I mean, some of them were probably, they were already looking to trap him because they've already started the tension. So they're following Jesus. Then Jesus turns and says those who are following, they would have been following him. Not even in Israel, not even in you, have I found such faith. And there was a pride about how faithful they are. How faithful. I mean, uh, we've stood at the wailing wall and we've seen the religious action and the legalistic thing that we start thinking is faith, but it's not. And, And Jesus says this to the Centurion, and he says this is, this is a powerful statement because he's like, people who think they're in aren't going to be in. People who think they're out, they're going to be in. The kingdom is for all. See, Jews believed Gentiles were outside of the grace of God. But Jesus tears that down. I mean, grace, listen, grace is for all who believe. Grace comes through faith. That's Ephesians 2, right? 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Why is it a gift? And it's not what we do. It's what he does so that we don't brag about it because we're fallen, broken people, and we will brag about what we feel like we could have accomplished because then we start walking around going, I'm worthy, God. I'm worthy. You need to do something for me. You owe me. The only thing that I've come to realize in my life that God owes me is death and absolute destruction. But in his mercy, he extends grace. How is that grace opened? By faith. Believing. We're saved by grace through faith. And that faith is recognizing Jesus' authority as Lord. See, faith is not determined by our background. I mean, this is something that we have got to, we've got to, you know, this is one of those hurdles we got to get over and never come back to. You ever deal with those things in your life? Like, hey, I dealt with that and never want to deal with that again. I mean, we've, we've got to get over this, this this lie that somehow keeps circling around our culture and, and even in the church that, that because of who I was born to, I'm good. This is not the mafia. This is the kingdom of God and the family under Christ, right? Well, he's my boy. That was like a Texas mafia guy. Did you notice that? Sorry. Didn't practice that one before. Apologize. I'll make them enough we can't refuse. There we go. Boom. Got it back. See, the centurion probably came from a status and wealth to have the position he had. Otherwise, he would have been a foot soldier and a grunt. So he had to have some status. And we, we've already established that no one is worthy of Jesus' help, but he does it out of love for us. But Jesus really dives into this this very issue in John chapter 8. I mean, he tells, he's having a conversation with, with Jews um, who had believed in him. He's, he's having a conversation with his, his followers, and this is, this is what he tells them in, in um, verse 31. Uh, he says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And if you will know, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll be free? Okay. Remember I said at the beginning that the nation of Israel was under the rule of the Roman Empire? And that's they're, they're saying we've never been enslaved to anyone. Uh, Jesus, you know, you can't lie to Jesus. He perceives the heart. And I, I would love to know what kind of inner monologue Jesus had going on in his, his mind at this point. It's kind of like a mom, right? She always knows when you're lying. You just never get away with it. How you say you'll become free? And Jesus said, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from yours. Okay, what we've seen and what we've heard—do they match up? And Jesus is saying, "It doesn't matter. I know you're a child of Abraham. It doesn't matter what family line you've been born in." Listen, let me bring it into us. We live in the greatest state in the in in, in the world. It doesn't matter what state you're born in. It doesn't matter what country you're born in. Listen, our message of the gospel goes all around the world and the message of the gospel is for every person around the world. It does not matter where you're born. Here's the truth. Every one of us are born a slave to sin. Every one of us are born broken. Every one of us are born with a need for a savior. And only then when we realize that then something happens, that there's no way. Listen, Christian parents, you know, well, I grew up in a Christian home. That's great. Your parents loved you enough to give you a great foundation of faith, but you gotta get to a point where you're standing on your own foundation of faith. Your mama's faith won't get you into heaven. Your praying grandma won't get you into heaven. She's loving you and she's supporting you and she's putting as much gospel around you as she can. But you have to come to the point of realizing what I'm born into is brokenness and sin and strife and I have to be reborn into the kingdom of God so that I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I'm a son in the house and a son remains forever and a son is set free. And that's where we hear the word. So faith is not determined by my background, Which I would even say, but that by faith, listen, by faith, Jesus saves us and frees us. So by faith, there's some backgrounds that we need to walk out of and stop holding on to that. Stop, you know, stop glorifying the the brokenness of our past. Faith, though, is submitting to the authority of Jesus. We put our faith in a lot of things, but none of those things can save us. We put our faith in medical advancements. We put our faith in our financial investments. We put our faith in our, our kids' abilities. We put our faith in so many things, but none of those things have the ability to save us eternally from separation with God. So maybe instead, yeah, faith is submitting to the authority of Jesus, and the centurion had to humble himself. It took That took a lot of humility. Think about it. He represents the ruler over Israel. He's a man of authority. And yet he comes to Jesus and says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be around you. That a lot of the belief in the Roman Empire as they were ruling over the Jews was their dogs. And what you have is a man of stature and power saying to a dog, I'm not worthy. But he recognized his authority. That's faith. That's when we submit to Jesus' authority. That's when things can happen. That's when we take Jesus at his word. He said, Jesus, say the word. Say the word. And the word of Jesus, he says, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Say the word, Jesus. Jesus, I need, I need grace. Just say the word. Jesus, I need, I need strength. I need peace. Just say the word, Jesus. During worship, some of you were starting to think about the mountains that are in front of you. And those mountains don't move by a shovel, and those mountains don't move by a bulldozer, and those mountains don't move when we stop, stop focusing on them in our life. Those mountains move when we stand on the faith that comes through the word of Christ. Through his word, where do we get faith? Faith, come, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We stand on that faith and then we speak faith. Jesus say the word and the mountain's gone. He constantly puts that, that back in us. I mean, we start looking at what, what really is faith? What is faith? Hebrews 11, chapter one, look at this. Faith is the evidence, it's the substance of things unseen, Right? And we stand on that. There's an assurance that we have through faith. Well, how can I be sure? There's an assurance of faith. I can't see it, but I have faith. Listen, I, I, I put my life and eternity on this truth, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is fully God, fully man, wrapped in flesh, that he gave his life on a cross for me, paid for my sin, And rose on the third day. Have I seen that? No. But by faith, I believe that. What I have seen is enough evidence of the resurrection power in my life. I've been to the disputed tomb site of Jesus in Israel. There's two sites, and they argue it's this one, it's this one, it's this one. But you know what? Both of them have in common? They're empty. So it doesn't matter. Because Jesus said, that's not where we're supposed to be. I have faith in that. You know, did it it take going to Israel? No, no, no. I, I had faith long before. See, I have faith that I can stand on. It's the substance, it's the foundation that my life walks on, it's the foundation that my life lives on. Every one of us have faith. The question is what's our faith in? And the centurion knew it was just a simple faith. Say the word. Why do we complicate it so much? We, we, we make it so complicated and put up so many hoops. I got to know this. I got to do this. I've, you know Somehow the enemies led us to believe we have to feel worthy. That's a lie. It's simple faith. It is simply coming to Jesus and saying, you are the authority of my life. You are the Lord. I believe that you died for me, and I believe you rose again, and I'm putting my life in your hands. You say the word, and I'm saved, and I'm set free. Period. And when that happens, I can trust Jesus at his word. I love that. He says, go home. Go home. It has happened just as you have believed. He didn't say it's happened because you did the right thing. It's happened because you're worthy. It's happened because you knew the magic words to say in the prayer. He said it has happened because you have believed. Let it happen as you have believed. You know, faith requires action. So many times we, 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 we think faith has said, well, I have faith, right? And so if we talk about like it's the assurance Faith is the substance, you know, Hebrews 11.1. So it's something I stand on, right? A house sits on a foundation. But that's not faith. Faith is active. Faith has to be moving. And, And when I trust Jesus, I move in that trust. Look at the centurion. He's modeling his love and care for his servant because he actually engages Jesus. He engages, takes steps to bring bring his servant healing to do something instead of just sitting back doing nothing going well we just have to have faith well faith requires us to get up off of our backside sometimes and get going because belief is active none of this is passive look at James chapter 2 you know the faith and works discussion right what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? He goes into an example. Like, how good is it, I mean, what good does it do if you see somebody in need? They need clothes, they need food, they need shelter, they, they need help. And you look at them and go, Well, be warm and well fed, and you know, go on, be filled, you know, and just have faith in God. I had to say it like that, because that's how I heard it growing up. Faith in God. He goes, what good is that? No, faith means you do something. You see a need, and you do something about it. I mean, I grew up in a house, you know, if there's a mess, if you discover the mess, you got responsibility to fix the mess. If there was a plate of brownies, and you eat the last brownie, you clean up the mess. That's why we just shaved like, slices of it, man, <laughs> until it just got down to that hair, and finally... Mom would just go, I'll just do it, you know. I mean, you know, you know we, we have a little dog, and uh, he got mad at me because some of y'all told on me last week. So he's mad at me this week about his diaper, his boy band, and all this stuff. But, uh, uh, you know, our kids grew up with dogs. It's like if the dog makes a mess in the house and you see it, clean it up. That's the same thing with the kingdom. Jesus is like, I'm opening your eyes through faith to see the needs of people around you. Do something. Well, God, I don't know if I... Hey, hey, hey. You walk by faith. I don't know if I have anything that's going to help him. You don't. But he does. And he chooses to do it through you. That's faith in action. That's faith at work. You know, this isn't a whole thing of like... you know Because James, man, we'll, we'll get so twisted up on that. We're like, I earn God's love by what I do. It's what I do. It's what I do. And if we do that, then we've just missed the whole point of grace... Because now we're starting to feel worthy because we've, we've, we've worked for it, we've earned it, and then we've just negated the truth of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. We are saved by grace through faith. It is not of our own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that we shouldn't boast. But listen, you got to finish that out though. For we are his workmanship. He created us in his image. He's given us these giftings and these abilities and and people around us that we recognize the needs in their life. And then by faith, we're called to step in and be a part of, of meeting those needs in their life. That's the workmanship. He says, We were created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works which God prepared beforehand. Listen, we have got to get the order right. See, we we get so wrapped up thinking I've got to work to determine worthy for the grace of God and then all we'll do is we'll work our whole life and miss the grace of God. But let's get it in the right order. The grace comes through faith. The grace transforms our life. The transformed life now works and walks a transformed life. So people ask, oh, what makes you so different? It's faith. I mean, how, how much would it just blow your mind to know that Jesus could stand in heaven and turn around to all the angels and go, never in Fort Worth, never in Texas, never in America, never in the world have I seen such great faith. That's what sets us apart. That's what sets us apart from a culture that is taking us in a way that Jesus doesn't do anything anymore. We live in a fallen, broken world and we have to humble ourselves to the authority of Jesus by faith and then faith sets us apart and then faith moves us to meet the needs of people who are broken, and enslaved in sin just as we were. So I said, you got faith. you got faith in something. What's it in? Is it in the power and authority of Jesus, the crucified and resurrected Savior? Has grace changed your life? And can people see faith in how you live your life? Or do we look just like every other person walking around in bondage and in fear instead of faith. And may we be people marked by great faith. Jesus, we love you. And we know that we don't deserve anything from you. We know our actions don't make us worthy. I mean, there is no righteous deed among us. But you and you alone determined our worth on the cross. You showed your authority over death with your resurrection. And Jesus, I ask you today to save people. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But I know, Jesus, you have the authority to save lives. And you have the authority to open a floodgate of grace. And I'm asking you to do that for people who are broken and dying and in desperate need of freedom. I'm asking you, Jesus, to do something. And Jesus, I believe that you will do it. And may those words echo. Let it be done as you have believed. Jesus, let our lives be marked by great faith that works for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Love you guys.